Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. All alone. Finally, he was found and rescued. And his rescuers noted that he had built three places, three dwellings while he was there. So they asked him what each one was. And he said, well, that one is my house, and obviously that one is my church. And so curiosity got the best of those that were there to rescue him, and so they asked, well, how about the third? Oh, that one, well, that's my former church. I had to leave that one because there are a bunch of hypocrites over there. Obviously, it's a fictional story. But sadly, it could probably be true. Probably be true of us. If we were the only one in a church or an organization or even a social group, we still could probably find problems with it, couldn't we? We can always spot problems. And yet, oftentimes, we never think that we are the problem. Because pointing out problems takes no work at all, does it? It comes naturally to us. But being part of the solution, well, that takes effort. Sometimes more effort than we are willing to give. The other week I noted to my wife that one of our pets had made an accident on the floor. And without us saying a word, she handed me the disinfectant spray and the paper towels. And I thought, well, that's not obviously why I was pointing that out. But there I was with spray and paper towels in hand, and now I had to be a part of the solution rather than just noting the problem. But that's true in any group, church, work, home. We can note problems, but few find solutions. Find the ways to mend the, gra- the gaps, to repair the cracks, to think of solutions, to be a part of the answer instead of just part of the problem. We live in a fractured society, do we not? Where there's seemingly more that divides than that unites. And to some ex- degree, or to some, we should expect that. But the word for us today from 1 Peter is that that should not be the case for us as Christians. That should not be the case in our homes. That should not be our case in the church. And it should not be the case as much as it depends upon us and any group that we are a part of. To have the sinful cause, to be the sinful cause of disunity. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all. And so Peter would say to us this morning, 
is what is ultimately good for the group is also good for the individual. That is good for you. That this is the way of the good life. As the psalmist will say later on there in that portion that is quoted. In order to love life and to see good days. In order to love life and to see good days, we should seek the unity and the peace and the good of others. And so we'll see that this morning in three points. The harmonious, the higher, and the happy life. First, the harmonious life. As we see this passage here, as Peter begins, he begins with this word, Finally. And you might be asking, why is he beginning with finally? He's only halfway through his letter. He is employing that pastoral trick that you often hear in sermons when the pastor says finally and then goes on for 20 more minutes. And there's three finallys until he's finally done. No, that's not what Peter is doing here. The finally is the summary of this section that he has finished up or is finishing up. And the thought goes back to chapter 2. And it begins with this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. At the portions that we've been looking at for several weeks are this subjection, this submission, being called to be a servant. We're called to be subject in the civil realm to the governing authorities, that we're subject in the social and vocational realm. As it says, servants be subject to your masters, employees be subject to your employers. Subjection in the marital realm, wives be subject to your husbands. And as we saw last week, husbands be understanding and sympathetic of your wife. And each one of these obviously applies differently. We are all in different spheres. We all have different and unique roles within those spheres. And so my subjection, my submission may not be exactly the same as yours. Mine might be easier. It might be more difficult. Each one of us has our own road, our own path that we must trod, our own cross to bear. As the author of Hebrews says that we are to run the race that is set out before us. And yet, no matter what it is, whatever race we are called to run, we're to look to Jesus, are we not? The author and perfecter of our faith, for Christ himself left an example that we are to follow in his steps. And so no matter what we are called to, no matter how hard it may be, how hard it may be to be a citizen in this world, how hard it may be in your workplace, how hard or difficult your marriage might be, we're all to look to Christ, to the one that understands us better than we do, not only because He is God, because He went through it. He endured it in the flesh. Because 
Christ Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. And yet we have this promise to bruised reed. He will not break. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. At times he will give us more than what we can handle. But at the same time he gives us the promise that he'll preserve us. He'll uphold us. He'll keep us from utter despair. And so... Our road, our path is unique that he calls us to. But what he says here in this final section is not individually different. Rather, it is the same for us all. No matter our calling, that these are things that should be true of us as Christians. And he begins here with the list of five characteristics. Unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tender-heartedness, and humility. Let us just briefly this morning look at each one of these. As I said, each one of these that should be true of us as individuals, should be true of us as a group, as a church. That these apply to any group that you are a part of, but especially the church. Because remember, Peter is directing this to the church. And so when he says, finally, all of you, he's speaking to all of you within the church of Jesus Christ. And he begins with unity. Unity is one of the chief fruits of the Spirit. Something that we need. Something that we should desire. Something that we should value. Something that we should fight for. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Indeed, unity is something that is good and pleasant. So much so that Jesus, when he was on the earth and when he was praying his high priestly prayer in John 17, what is it that he prayed? He says to the Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. And then the very next day gave of his life for that unity, for that oneness. It is of that vital importance to Christ. So much so that Jesus says if we're out of accord with a brother or sister in the body of Christ that we should leave our gifts at the altar and go and be reconciled together because that is of first importance we saw that last week did we not of husbands where he tells peter tells the husbands that if you are not reconciled with your wife if you do not live with her in an understanding way if you do not show honor to her that your prayers will be hindered In other words, husbands, if there's not peace, if there's not unity in your homes, that stops your prayers. And God would say, stop. Go and make that right. Be reconciled together. Have that peace. Have that unity. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. And if there must be unity in our homes, then there also must be unity 
within the church as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be all the same. If you look around this morning, there is many differences amongst us. But that is part of the beauty, isn't it? That there is beauty in diversity. And yet there is not a chaotic disunity. Now we see this beautiful picture being put together as God brings his family together from all various backgrounds, various personalities, various races. And yet we are one. One in unity. One as the family of Christ. I think we see a beautiful example of this every Sunday morning. As the choir stands behind me and sings their anthem and always does such an amazing job as they did this morning. Though there are many, they are trying to sound as one. If one person stands out, Jim will tell you that that is not a good thing. That person is probably not hitting the right notes. I'm glad that is never the case. In the Smyrna Presbyterian Church choir. But the choir works really hard to have unity, to have that togetherness of sounds. As much as possible, trying to be as one. But if you know or if you've been part of a choir or part of an orchestra, that does not mean that they are singing or playing all the same notes. They are different notes, but there is harmony between those notes. It's the diversity coming together to give the fullness of sound and we would even say the unity of sound. That first word that Peter uses there, unity, could be perhaps translated harmonious. We need harmony in our lives, do we not? And so let me ask this morning, where in your life are you hitting the wrong note? Where are you trying to sing your own tune? Instead of trying to find your place within the group, within the body of Christ, and trying to hit the right pitch there to to produce a beautiful harmony in the body of Christ. Where are you contributing to problems rather than finding ways of peace and unity and of one accord? And as I said, that could be in various groups and in your home or in the church or, or even with individuals. We need unity. That cannot be dismissed. That we must reconcile our differences. As Romans 12.8, as I quoted earlier, if it's possible, it's not always possible, is it? But it says, if possible, so much as it depends upon you, live peacefully with all men. Then he goes on here to say not only unity, but sympathy and brotherly and tender heartedness. In other words, love. That through the unity there is that attitude, that mood of love, that care for one another. I've seen that witnessed here in numerous ways. You as a congregation should be commended for these attributes. 
So often, pastors can tell you the things that you do wrong. Again, it's easy to point out problems, isn't it? But sometimes you must be commended as well. And this is something that I think this church should be commended for. For your sympathy, for your love, for your tender-heartedness. As people go through various problems, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Things of health, things within the home, things within the workplace. That there is not apathy amongst you. But rather there is a deep concern for one another. As you use that call to prayer on a weekly basis, you see those prayer requests and not only are you praying for one another, but you are really genuinely wanting to know how you're doing. That there is not empty questions of how's it going, but you really want to to understand and to, to share those burdens with one another. And I can say that to you because we've experienced that as a family. As we've walked through some things physically with my wife, I've seen that love that you have poured out to us. In many ways, it has encouraged us more than you will ever know. Ways that you have allowed us to get through difficult and dark times. And that is true of so many. I know that our brother Muhammad credits in many ways his conversion to this church in the way that he felt love amongst you. He said that people that did not even know me showed me love, showed me care and concern for him and for his wife. And they thought, what is this? And through it, he discovered the the ultimate love, the, the love of Christ. To that, I just say, praise God. May there be more and more of that, that unity and that love. Fifth, it says here, comes from a humble mind. It comes from humility. That we're walking as servants, walking as the least amongst us. It's hard for a slave to be self-promoting, isn't it? But those that see their life as a servant are looking for ways to serve. Looking for ways to love. Looking for ways to have unity and peace. And all of that produces that beautiful harmony that is needed within the church. Well, second then, we see this higher life. And by that I'm not meaning some second blessing, some higher holiness. What I mean by that is that the Lord calls us to to take the high road when it comes to insult and offenses and all-out slander. As it says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on contrary, bless, for to this you were called. Notice, to that we've been called. And we're not to return like-kinded evil. But rather, we are to take, as many say, the higher road. And we don't mean that in a self-righteous way, as many would use it as a look-at-me attitude. As we look down upon others, that would violate that principle of humility, of service, would not. But rather, what I think it's saying here is that we are reminded of our, our true calling. 
as he goes on to say, that we are to bless. That's our call. It's to bless. It's not to, it's not to revile. It's not to, to curse. It is to be a blessing. It's not to be marred down. It's not to be bogged down in the, the slum and slime of this life that's out there in the world. And that is all that name-calling is. It's mud-slinging. We're not to be a part of that. Not to dirty ourselves in that. Not to be an agent of darkness. We're not to sow those things for which Christ had to die for. No, we're to sow those things for which He has blessed us with. To be agents of light. To be salt and light. To be sowers of light and truth and, and blessings. And that's true for no matter what age you are. Children, this is as true for you as it is for the oldest saint amongst us. That you can be a blessing in your home, in your school, to your parents, to, to this church. That you're called to, to be a blessing. I know of one youth who didn't want to do what the normal kids, high school kids did on Friday nights and as a result, there was some that took notice. They came to him and said, well, we noticed that you, you, don't, you don't do these things. You don't go to those parties. And, and quite frankly, we don't really like them either. And so why don't we do this instead on Friday night? And it started with just three of them. By the end of the school year, there was more that was with them than those that used to do that which they were doing before. Why? Because there was one person that was willing to say, no thanks. I'd rather stand and be different, be a light. And you can do this in your own neighborhood as well. Again, in our culture where we don't even know the people that live next to us. What are ways that we can seek out and, and, and ways to be blessings to, to our neighbors? I'll tell you one thing that we have done, not as a way to say you have to do it this way, but we were tired of just not knowing our neighbors. And so one Saturday night we told our neighbors, hey, we're going we're gonna to pull out our grill and we're going we're gonna to have the grill there. If you want to bring some meat over, we'll have some things to share. Come on out. And we live in the end of a cul-de-sac, pull out some chairs. Some came, some didn't. But through that it was an opportunity to get to know those that... that Oftentimes, we don't. Ways to look for opportunities. Ways to be blessings. If we made it our prayer every day, Lord, make me a blessing. I think that's a prayer that the Lord will answer. And give you multiple opportunities. Because that's what we're called to, as it says. We're called to the high calling of being a servant. Which seems... As an oxymoron, but isn't that what Christ said? The greatest amongst you shall be the least. And so we're to bless. And in so blessing, it says that we obtain a blessing. In Christ, we have that blessing as well as so many more. And so we see this harmonious, this higher life. Lastly, we see this happy life. You might say, 
Well, can we talk about that in a Presbyterian church? Can we be happy as Presbyterians? I thought we must be austere. I thought we must be the frozen chosen. No, we can, can we not? Godliness does not mean monotony. As he says here, quoting Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and to see good days. How many of you want to love life? How many of you want to see good days? We're given it right here. As Peter quotes David from Psalm 34. And isn't it beautiful here of how Peter builds everything that he said upon the Word of God. Upon the Old Testament Scriptures. He says it was true back then when David said it. It's true while I quote it now to this first century church. And now it's still true. In the 21st century. As we say it here. That these are the practical outworkings of the good life. That through our subjection, through our submitting, through our doing what God has called us to, there's happiness, there's joy, there's blessing, there's contentment. Again, in a way that we would not think. In putting others before ourselves. In serving others instead of serving ourselves. All things that seem to go contrary to our nature, and they do. But yet... As Peter says, as David says, if we desire to have a good life, if we desire to see good days, if we desire to love life, then this is what we're called to. So I said before, this is the, the, the final conclusion to this section. And really, Peter is using this as a, a test. What does subjection, what does submission look like practically? Well, it's doing what is right. It's being a blessing. It's seeking unity. It's seeking peace. It's loving others. It's walking humbly with our God. Do you know of those that exhibit these things? Do you know of a Christian friend when you've done them wrong, they in return blessed you. When in tears, they were there to pray with you. When you found yourself overwhelmed and not knowing where to turn, they were a tender heart that came alongside. How much of a blessing was that to you? How much did that help you? And how are the ways that we can be that towards others? I tell you what, that transforms a church, does it not? And ultimately we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the greatest friend. The one that has stuck closer to us than a brother. As I said, this is the good life. And that is so different than the world would say. They would say good life is get all that you can. Fulfill and gratify yourself. Holy Scriptures say the opposite, to live for the Lord, to live for others. Now that's the good life. That's the life that we desire. As the hymn writer says, my heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. 
a life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. It truly is. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. It's so simple, and yet we need to hear it again and again. And so how is it being lived out in your life? Are you living the good life? Are you living the godly life in your home, in your marriage, here at church, out in the world? Are you returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, cursing for cursing? Are you doing good in the face of evil? Loving, though reviled. Blessing, instead of cursing. As I said before, we need look no further than Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Who didn't come to this world just to merely point out the problems. No, He came to be the answer. To be the answer to the world. And we have been given the answer. And so let our lives be a witness. Let our lives be a a testimony of that answer. To be a blessing. As Peter would say to us, for to that you have been called. Because we have inherited, we have obtained the blessing. That blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we've received that blessing, With mercy and grace, let us then give of those blessings that he has given to us and give them to others. May the Lord help us in these things. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come and to be unified through the Spirit, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what you have obtained for us. Lord, as we began this morning, we were told that we have received grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. And truly, that is the testimony of each and every one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that that grace, that those blessings would overflow to others, that we would be the vessel of those blessings, of that grace, that we would be servants that we would serve in the ways that you have called us to. Pray that you'd help us, that you would enable us. May we be a body that truly loves one another as the family of Christ, brothers and sisters, redeemed in Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen.